Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. The $1.2 trillion Infrastructure, Investment, and Jobs Act is a once in a generation investment in the nation's infrastructure. With state and local politics increasingly driving national outcomes, our state government relations team takes a deep dive into how these funds trickle down from federal coffers to state and local projects from coast to coast. Tune in as they discuss the mechanics of the process and how projects like EV infrastructure and broadband expansion represent opportunities for private business. Welcome to the Brownstein podcast series. Today we're going to be talking about state-level implementation of infrastructure funds. I'm Greg Hayes with Brownstein's multi-state GR practice, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Sarah Mercer and Joe Hasso. Uh, A little bit about our state GR practice. Uh, We work to give clients on-the-ground resources that drive state and local policy outcomes. The firm has excelled in taking the experience we have in Washington, D.C., and working with our colleagues around the country to connect it to uh, state and local interests. And as we know, the state and local politics play an increasingly important role in national outcomes, and especially it requires a multi-state approach on subjects like infrastructure. And our team has a unique insight into how critical issues play out coast to coast, and we also have the deep relationships that foster successful coalitions and projects across state lines. So Sarah Mercer, my colleague, has more than a decade of experience designing legal and political strategies. She's been at the forefront of some of the most significant regional and national issues, including infrastructure, the Paycheck Protection Program, campaign finance, and many more. And she has been able to use her close ties with elected officials and bureaucratic staff at all levels of local and state government to lead multi-state projects. Joe Hasso has over 20 years of experience in legislative affairs, external relations, and politics at the federal, state, and local levels. He uses his government relations executive experience to lead multi-state lobbying efforts. He works on behalf of clients to advance various legislative and business objectives on Capitol Hill, across the country, and state legislatures, and with Republican gubernatorial and legislative partisan and nonpartisan associations. Sarah and Joe, thanks for joining today. Yeah, you bet, Greg. So great to be here. So uh, I guess the big question that everybody has is uh, there's $1.2 trillion, and how is that going to be allocated? How can people access that? would love to hear some of your perspectives on that. Sarah, why don't you give us a start? Thanks, Greg. You know, this infrastructure package, this $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, sits within the a larger context of a once in a generation federal spending effort, you know, starting during the pandemic and then now coming out of the pandemic. Um, We've really in, you know, as, as I said, in sort of this generation have not seen this level of federal spending that is moving down into the state and local governments ever before. And so rightfully so we have a lot of clients interested in how this money is going to be moved from the federal government to these state and local governments, what is that going to look like? How can they participate uh, in accessing that either through partnerships with those state and local governments or through competitive RFP processes to become a vendor for projects that are being funded through these allocations? And there's so much uh, that's in this infrastructure package. 
but we really want to focus on really two particular programs. One is the money that's going towards electric vehicle infrastructure. And the second is the money that's uh, being allocated for broadband to advance the government's um, interest in creating universal broadband. So those are the two projects that we're going we're gonna to start with today. I'll mention that just from a, a high level, that the broadband money is $65 billion uh, that's going to be given out to the states. Um, this is a project where we're probably not going to see these funds move until late 2022 and in the years to come. Joe, do you want to mention just broadly kind of the, the structure of the what the funds look for the electric vehicle infrastructure? Yeah, sure. Um, and let me just pick up on what you just said with regard to, to the broadband uh, money. You know, I, I would just point out to the listeners that May 16th, uh, if not before, but May 16th, uh, is when the notice of funding opportunity uh, is going to be released from Department of Commerce. Uh, so that will trigger uh, the opportunity for governors to submit a letter of intent to the secretary, and they will automatically become eligible uh, for $5 million uh, of, of planning grant money. So that's just a little touch there on, on the broadband. Uh, but Sarah, with respect to the, the EV infrastructure, there are, as you know, we both know, we, we, we're doing a lot of work in this space, uh, $7.5 billion, uh, $5 billion uh, of, that, of that total will go to the states uh, based on you know, whatever the, the traditional you know, funding model is, and then $2.5 billion is set aside for competitive grants. Uh, so uh, there is, you know, and then there are a number of deadlines along the way that states have to meet uh, with regard, uh, you know, to putting a plan together, uh, presenting it to the federal government, uh, and then, you know, moving forward with that. Joe, I want to go back to the point that you made about on the broadband fund, the May 16th deadline and the availability of $5 million for the planning grants, because, there's obviously going to be so much interaction between the states and the federal government in order to access these funds. There are certain funds that are available to states by kind of by right, but the states have to show a plan. And so um, with respect to the broadband fund, you know, each state is going to get at minimum $100 million. The territories will each get at minimum $20 million. Uh, but above and beyond that, they need to show their need working with the Department of Commerce to identify where are the underserved areas who need broadband, right? So this is, um, these are in our, you know, more low income communities. How do we create more access, even if the broadband infrastructure is there? And how do we make that service more cost effective for those communities? But it's also looking at like the rural areas to see where are we lacking broadband and how are we going to serve communities in this country who really have still not had reliable internet. Just on a personal note, I remember writing my in my college application, this was over two decades ago, there was a question about what is an issue that, that's going to be kind of the next issue to really face the country in terms of, of creating an environment of equal opportunity. And I wrote about the digital divide then. It was something that was on my mind. And here we are still today, two decades later, and we have many people in this country who do not have access to reliable internet. So that's the goal of these funds. And there's going to be an enormous amount of coordination between the Department of Commerce and the states to ensure that those underserved areas are identified and um, underserved areas, both uh, with regard to the rural areas that don't have physical proximity to these, this infrastructure, but then also, again, 
to those communities who haven't been able to access it from a cost and an economic perspective as well. So that $5 million that each state can access uh, after May 16th is really, really, really important so that states can start the planning process. And our recommendation to clients is to be engaging now, uh, because even though those funds are not going to be distributed for a while yet, being able to engage with state partners now and with local communities to be able to show and, and, and help the states I, to say, hey, we've had outreach from and we've communicated with our private sector partners. Here's what they're telling us of where these underserved areas are. And um, being able to help and shape that conversation is something that's going to be very welcomed by the states because they just they don't they may not have the information that they need yet. And so they need those kinds of resources. And Sarah, I'd like to uh, build on that for a minute. You and Joe have done a great job of talking about the deadlines. Obviously, that must be attended to. But I, I want to build a little bit of what you're talking about with the narrative, the story that needs to be told. I mean, this is you know competitive. And uh, what must clients and listeners here do to best position themselves to tell the story of the compelling need? Well, Greg. So I, I think it's I think it's a it's a couple of things, right? I think as Sarah mentioned, the states uh, are convening stakeholder meetings, right? So you have to be a part of that. You have to you know tell your story, and in doing so, you are educating, right? And you're helping to shape the process, the thinking uh, by which these plans are going to be put together. But it's not only engaging with the states, uh, it is also engaging uh, with other groups, right, that are having influence, right? So, for example, you know, the U.S. Conference of Mayors, we, we touched on EB uh, a little bit. Uh, yesterday, the U.S. Conference of Mayors uh, EB Task Force, you know, had a whole webinar about electric vehicle charging, right, and what cities should be thinking about as they engage with the state and with the governor's office, right? All of those things uh, are important so that you're driving the same message, uh, not only at the state level and with the stakeholder group that's being convened by the state, but you're also educating other influencers along the way, such as the mayors, uh, such as maybe county officials, you know, local officials. Uh, so all of those things combined are part of the overall effort in that process and helps to better position the client, you know, whomever it is that is looking to take part in the funds that are coming from Washington down to the states and to local governments. Joe, I'll, you know, I'd like to build on, on that because there is such an opportunity here for companies. So many of our clients, our Fortune 500 clients, but even our Fortune 1000 clients, they have, especially over the last couple of years, really ramped up their ESG and their um, external affairs at work. Many of our clients and many companies have dedicated departments to community engagement, to partnering with the community. And this is an amazing time to amplify those efforts and not only go in to these kinds of stake these stakeholder meetings that Joe was mentioning with a narrative around the company, but being able to partner with those community organizations with those ESG efforts to help to show the whole narrative and to come in and tell the story that not only advances the company's interests, but the community's interests and really um, become a trusted partner in that regard. I think with regard to our to startups, we have many startup clients also. It's a great opportunity 
to share on the ground experience with regard to uh, hurdles, barriers to entry, issues that you know are unique to startups in coming into this space. Uh, and, and I think that there's just, there's a real openness that we are going to see with those conversations and with those stakeholder meetings that are, it's just an incredibly unique opportunity that we think businesses really should be taking advantage of. So Sarah, on that point, if you're a you know, sort of longstanding company, you probably have the infrastructure to take advantage of this. But if, if you're not, and you're sort of starting from scratch and you know, maybe newer to the infrastructure game, what is it that you should be doing to position yourself? Well, I, I don't want to give away our secret sauce, but I think that <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Well, maybe the answer is just hire Brownstein. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely one answer. But, you know, one of the reasons I love state and local government so much is because it is accessible. And I would love to say that, you know, you've got to hire Brownstein. You have to hire us to help you, you know, get access. And in some cases, that's true. And certainly from a strategic partnership perspective, we bring a lot of value. But sometimes it is as simple as finding the technology office in the governor's office, you know, or finding, uh, reaching out to the CIO or reaching out to the Department of Transportation and just raising your hand and saying that you want to be interested. So I think companies can do quite a bit with what they have simply by reaching out because the states and the local governments are really looking for this feedback. Joe, did you want to add to that based on your experience? Yeah, no, look, I I think Sarah is correct, right? I mean, you know, there's going to be, and to your point, Greg, Right. I mean, there are, you know, bigger companies, smaller companies, startups, whatever. Everyone's going to have different resources available to them. And the bottom line is you have to engage. Uh, and I think because there is so much that's out there and so much that is new, the government, state government, local government, you know, in this case, we're talking a lot about the state government. Uh, they are looking for ideas. They're looking for information. They want input. And they're looking to establish partnerships with people, right? Whether it's policy, uh, and then, you know, it is things that they can carry on uh, in their plan, whether it's the plan that they're going to put together uh, on EV charging, right? So that, you know, people of a particular state, say, let's use Texas as an example, uh, you know, you're trying to get from Beaumont to El Paso or Texline down to Brownsville. uh, That's a lot of distance. Uh, And Greg, you being in California, uh, you know, you you, you know that as well, right? Northern California, all the way down to Southern California. There's a tremendous amount of distance. Um, and to some of the things that, that Sarah pointed out, you know, a lot of it is just the thought that goes into it, right? And what are some of the hurdles and challenges that companies are experiencing, right? In sharing that, uh, those experiences with state government, with the people that are putting these plans together so that they can say, okay, well, hey, we need to address these things, right? Whether it's regard to EV charging, you know, if it's permitting, right? To the degree that there can be some consistency with the plan so that permits are easy to come by, you know, that might be one thing. You know, it might be interoperability. It might be taking something as simple as, as safety uh, into consideration, right? Where are the chargers located? All of those things that, you know, you might not think about, all of those things come into play uh, as you're designing a plan and a company who might be out there uh, working already in the communities, uh, you know, they've got, they've, got a, they've got a lot to offer. So if you're out there and you're listening to this, uh, I would say the best thing is to engage. 
to engage because people are looking for feedback, they're looking for resources and ideas uh, on how to do this best. Thank you, Joe. Actually, just as a, a, a trivia side note, it's 770 miles from top to bottom in California. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. So uh, I want to go back for a moment. As you know, Sarah noted earlier, this is historic. This is a massive investment in infrastructure, and uh, it's to meet you know needs that have been unmet. So there's a lot of pent up demand for this. So can we go back for just a moment to talk about how soon states and localities are going to see these funds, uh, both in, in both categories, both in the broadband and the EV infrastructure? On the broadband side, these funds are unlikely to be distributed until the very end of this year of 2022 for these projects to even start. And it will be for years to come on the broadband side. But on the EV infrastructure side, as Joe mentioned, there's two different categories of of funds. There's going to be $5 billion for the states. So states will submit a plan and they'll be entitled to their usual proportionate share um, of DOT funding. And then there's $2.5 billion that's been set aside for local and state and community grants. And so what we what we've heard is that for the state money, those plans are due back to a joint uh, DOT, DOE, uh, Department of Energy, Department of Transportation department in August. So those funds are we're likely to see deployed from a state perspective uh, sometime in 2023. On the local community grant, we anticipate that those funds are going to come a little faster, and those are going to be opportunities for local governments, community partners, and states to apply directly to the federal government for those grants. We don't have a timeline yet, but we would anticipate sometime this year that that process would get started. Now, you have talked a little bit about uh, you know this rolling out to various states, and as we know, no two states are alike. So it will require distinct approaches depending on, you know, where you are. So perhaps you can give us some examples of different states where different approaches are likely required. Sure, I can touch on that a bit. I mean, I, look, I think well, let's take broadband, for example. Um, you know, every, every state is going to have a different approach, right? Some might establish a, a broadband commission uh, whereby, the commissioners, you know, maybe uh, the, the governor appoints you know, so many, uh, the lieutenant governor appoints so many, the Senate president, the Speaker of the House, uh, and you've got a commission there, and then they will decide, you know, they'll put together the working group that, you know, presents the plan and, you know, creates the plan and presents it uh, with regard for their state. You know, others will, like, you know, Mississippi just recently created uh, an office of broadband. Uh, they'll stand that up the 1st of July. Uh, I expect they'll name an executive director uh, at that time, and that will be housed as, as part of the, the administration there. So there's going to be different approaches. And, and then, of course, you know, as you said, every state is different, right? So you'll have to address uh, the needs uh, of, of the communities, right, and, and however it is, right? Obviously, there's going to be rural, there'll be urban, but every state will have a, a different approach. And so back to the point of engaging it is imperative that uh, if you're a company out there and you're wanting to access some of these funds, uh, that you are engaged uh, with those people who are making the decisions. You're part of the stakeholder meetings because every state is going to have a different approach. 
Yeah, I'll echo. If you are waiting for the RFP, uh, you are too late for sure. I'll give a couple of other examples. Um, Colorado has sort of long had a, a broadband office and broadband advisory working group. That entity um, is already working on, you know, the plan, taking feedback. Uh, by contrast, Michigan, they are intending to, but have not even yet set up their high-speed internet office. They are using some other ARPA money that they received uh, to do actually an audit, uh, an, an, a broadband infrastructure audit that's going to be completed by August. And so just reiterating the point that states are in really different places with this. And so from a business perspective, identifying where is your target market and really trying to get to know and get up to speed on where is that market? Where, where is that state? Where is that locality on these issues? I think we've seen that on the EV infrastructure side too. As, as Joe mentioned, the US Conference of Mayors has done a great service by setting up an EV infrastructure working group for mayors around the country. And so understanding if a mayor in a particular locality uh, that your business is interested in is part of that working group, that mayor, that city may be far, much farther ahead than another city that hasn't really engaged very much. So, and you may, there may be an opportunity to do a lot of education or to sort of pull that city into those efforts, uh, which could be of real, real value to that community. Um, and again, just showing that you're a trusted partner, that you're an interested in, in this kind of engagement and really improving and helping the community and helping the community to use these funds in a way that will be long lasting because it's unlikely that we're going to see this kind of federal funding flow um, again for, for a really long time. All right, Sarah and Joe, thank you for uh, all you've shared today. Do you have any uh, closing remarks you want to make before we sign off? I would close with this. You've heard this word from us over and over that engagement is key. And this process can seem, it is, this process is very cumbersome, but engagement is possible. And these communities, these states, they are accessible. So now is the time. Now is the time to be engaging. You're not too late, but you certainly want to get engaged now because this is a train and it's starting to move and you want to be on it. Obviously, I support what Sarah just said. I think if you're a company out there that's looking to you know, access some of these funds, uh, it is important to be a part of the process to share your expertise. Uh, as Sarah mentioned earlier, uh, you've probably you know, experienced you know, some barriers to entry as you've gone about uh, your work. So those things, those hurdles uh, are important. And uh, so share those experiences, share the successes as well with the states uh, as they are looking for information. They want to design a plan that's going to benefit the needs of their citizens. And, and also keep in mind, as you engage the process, these states are talking with one another. So if they're hearing the same thing, then it validates, hey, you know, this is a good idea, right? And so uh, your, your, your chances of having your policy perspective included in their plan uh, increases. So my biggest recommendation is, is to engage uh, there are many ways to do that, uh, and we are happy to help you. And of course, don't hesitate to reach out to us uh, with any questions about these opportunities um, or about state or local engagement. Absolutely. And Sarah and Joe, thank you for your insights today. And on behalf of my Brownstein colleagues, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
Visit bhfs.com for more information.